You're listening to a podcast presentation of Hillside Foursquare Church in Reno, Nevada. I want to invite you back towards a seat. We are in Acts chapter 13 today as we go through the book of Acts. There's a distinct shift that happens in this portion of the book of Acts. Up until this point, it's been about the Acts of the Apostles. How did the church get started? One of the main focuses has been on the Apostle Peter. Uh, Starting in Acts 13, there's a a very distinct shift. And the other disciples and other apostles show up. But from this point forward, it's largely about the Apostle Paul and what he did. And so to kind of set the stage... um, what we see is there is a large gathering of people who are identifying as Christians in a place called Antioch. Uh, they have scattered from Jerusalem. They've gathered from kind of all over due to persecution, and Antioch has become kind of a, a safe landing spot. Uh, Barnabas, a guy named uh, Joseph, called him Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, uh, was sent by the church at Jerusalem to go to Antioch to check out what was happening there and to kind of confirm that what was going on was, was copacetic. They wanted to con- uh, confirm that this was something that God was endorsing, God was blessing. And on his way there, he went and he picked up Saul out of Tarsus. Knowing that Saul is a new convert, had been a Christian for a short period of time, wanted to take him there, and they stayed there for a couple years and just where the church really began to grow. And it was in that spot in Antioch that the people who were following Jesus were first called Christians. And they weren't identified according to the fact that they were Jews or that they were Greeks. They were identified according to who Jesus was. And you'll find, it, especially in the New Testament, wherever there is a crossroads, wherever you have like a gathering spot, those tend to be the places where God would send his people because you could, like by sending them to Antioch or sending them to Corinth or sending them to Ephesus or sending them to Rome, you end up with these, these major intersections where there's lots of people going through. And he wanted them to be in a spot where they could interact and they could engage with people with the message of the gospel. Uh, Coming out of Acts chapter 11, it says that from Jerusalem, several prophets were sent to uh, Antioch to kind of check out what was going on there. And that's where we see uh, chapter 13 picking up. They've been here for a couple of years at this point. We're going to read Acts 13, 1 through 3, and then we're going to talk. And I don't know exactly how far we're going to go today, but I'm prepared to go all the way through 13. I'm also prepared to stop at 3. So it depends if the pancakes are done, I guess. We'll figure it out. <laughs> That's not true. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. One of the things that I want to let you know about, one of the things I want to talk to you about today is this, as I was studying, I got hit with this picture of we want to know what God's will is, what his mission for our life is, and what we see it revealed in scripture is it's when people are worshiping, their, God's will comes out of that. The mission for their life comes from that connection to God. I'll explain that a little bit more. Here at Antioch, uh, it they go out of the way to say, okay, we've got prophets and teachers that have been established in this spot. When you hear prophet, I don't know what you think of. I know what I think of, and what I think of is often the person who is looked to 
often in a local congregation, somebody who is brought in from the outside to come in and, and they're there to hear God for you to tell you what God is saying to you. Does that sound like a, a definition that would jive with a lot of your experience? Yeah, okay. It's, that would have been something that would have been an Old Testament or a First Testament definition of what a prophet was. But really, the prophets are a part of a, what, you know, of five different uh, people groups that are a part of the church that were established for the purpose of building people up and helping them grow to maturity in Christ. And those were the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. And their specific stated goal from Jesus is to equip the people who belong to Jesus for the work of ministry. Ministry is a fancy word that means service. It means to do for Jesus, to build up the body of Christ. And the whole goal of these five office gifts, and they, I don't know why they necessarily call it office, but they call it office, and it's not because Michael Scott worked there. It's, I don't know where this comes from. Uh, I looked, and every time I looked for, under office, it would pull up like MS office, or it would pull up something from, you know, the office under Mifflin type of stuff. It's like, come on, I need better resources. Uh, but the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the pastors and the teachers, their goal is to help people grow to maturity in Christ. Not to do the work of the ministry solely themselves, but to provide a place for people to grow and to stretch and to learn how to grow in Christ, how to do things in Christ. Uh, one of the reasons I said that the, the picture of prophet that I had painted for you was Old Testament, it's because in Acts chapter 2, when it says the Holy Spirit was poured out upon all believers, that changed how each of those Old Testament gifts would have been used. In the Old Testament, where there would have been a few people who would have the Holy Spirit come down upon them and they would prophesy or they'd be able to say, here's what's happening. Now, what we see is every single person who has the Holy Spirit who dwells inside of them has the opportunity to hear God for themselves and then to be able to know what to do. So what a, a, a new school prophet would do would be someone who would help people learn to hear God and to respond to him. Not to say, you know, mom, let me tell you what Jesus is telling you today. Or, you know, uh, Stacy, here's what, here's what God wants to talk to you about. I'm not saying that prophets today will not, you know, give a word of encouragement or a word of exhortation or challenge or a word that is in, uh, edifying, but I am saying that when we hear a prophet begin to speak to us about something else, like something specifically to us, most often that's going to be something God's already been talking to my to people about. And I, I mentioned my parents because I can remember in service one day when there was a person who, I was probably 16 or 17 years old, and they, the, the person who was talking stopped the service and he pointed at my parents and said, and the work that God has been working in your heart about going to Carson City, he's gonna bring this about. And I'm like, I haven't heard anything about that, and I rebuke that because I don't want to move to Carson City because I'm a Reno boy. I don't want to do that. Do you remember that? Yeah, you remember that. But I asked my parents afterwards, you know, respectful time passes, and it's like, you know, what the heck was that about, Carson City business? Do we have to correct him afterwards? Like, actually, this is something we've been praying about. And it was like a weave. My mom and dad were praying about going to Carson and I was like, so that's why we drive down to Carson City and watch the Carson High baseball and Carson High basketball teams play all the time. We got to see some great basketball teams. Uh, we got to see the Pagets and the Allisons and Charlie Kerfeld. If you remember the name Charlie Kerfeld, he was six foot six, probably six foot six wide, and just all sorts of fun. He ended up pitching later on in the major leagues. But it's like 
God didn't use the prophet to tell my parents to introduce something to them that they hadn't already been talking about. It was something that was done as an encouragement. And in all of this, let me tell you, if a person says, I need to tell you something that God's talking to you about, and they say something and it makes no sense to you, I'd file it away. There's a couple things in scripture where it says, and Mary treasured these things in her heart. But also to know, God is not going to talk to me about you, about something he hasn't already talked to you about. The prophet who comes and says, let me tell you what God wants you to do, and it does not resonate and it does not seem right, and it's new news, I don't think that's, what the, I don't think that's something God does. God will confirm. I can remember, um, she's uh, in the other room with uh, pancakes probably, but uh, when Joni and I first were getting together, we were having conversations and we were kind of comparing notes about our relationship with Jesus and relationships with, you know, over the years. And, you know, I said, what's something that you think would be fun to, for me to know? And she said, well, there's been four guys who told me that God told them that I was supposed to marry him. Four. Four. In the 80s, we called that spiritual jujitsu, where you were attempting to manipulate God into accomplishing your will, because who are you to argue against God? God told me. And it's, it was really, really funny, because there came a point when, in our early courtship, where I heard God speak to me, this is the woman I, I want you to marry. And I knew he was talking to her. And I can tell you this, neither one of us talked about it to each other until much, much later. I, I, don't, I think we waited until even after we were married to, remember when we were having that conversation with your grandparents? The whole point of that is don't allow yourself to be manipulated or twisted into something because somebody puts a God card on it. God will speak to you because we live in the time now where the Holy Spirit dwells within us and teaches us and guides us. And a person who is a prophet will help you hear God and to respond to that. Does that make sense? So at this time, the prophets and teachers are there. I'm guessing they're sent there to help these new Christians learn how to hear God. And also the teaching is there because you got to remember, at the beginning, they did not have generations of Christian teaching. What does it mean to be a Christian? They had Jewish tradition, and they had a ton of pagan traditions, but they didn't have any Christian traditions. It was the things that Jesus had taught, the application of different things. And so the teachers and the prophets are there to help them grow up to maturity. It did not mean that the other gifts weren't needed. It simply was this is what was needed at that particular time. So with that said... We get a picture of these people who are recognized as prophets, people who are the ones who more often than not are when God wants to speak something at large to everyone. That's a different type of a prophetic message. And there's a couple times in scripture where it says there's a guy named Agabus and he says, you know what, I'm I'm sensing by the the Holy Spirit that there's going to be a famine in this particular area of the world. And so the church began to pray for that area, but also to take up a collection to help provide funds to secure food for that region. There's another time when Agabus comes up and he takes Paul's belt off of him and he wraps it around Paul's hands and he says, this is what's going to happen to the owner of this belt if he goes to Rome. And everybody's like, Paul, don't go to Rome. And Paul says, God's already been talking about going to Rome. So, you know, leave me alone. I know this is a confirmation. I'm going towards what I know. Remember, when Paul... Uh, was knocked to the ground and he was blinded and he had his confrontation with Jesus where he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's hard for you to kick against the the goads. Why are you, you resisting me? There came this point where 
Jesus sent a guy named Ananias to go pray for Paul to have the scales removed from his eyes so he could see. And he says, I need you to do this, Ananias, because I'm showing this guy how much he needs to suffer for my message of the gospel. He's going to suffer. So part of Paul's mission that was revealed to him from the beginning is, this is God's message for you. This is what you're going to do, and it's going to hurt real bad. And so where some of us would look at suffering and say, uh, what's behind door number two? Or can I take a different? Paul says, that resonates with what God's told me. That resonates with what he's been leading me towards. So that's where when we're dealing with or we're listening to the prophetic, we always weigh it together. And that's something where simply putting a God card on something does not mean God has actually said it. If you feel that God is stirring you up to share something at Hillside, one of the ways we would do that is to get one of our elders, uh, Sean and Patty McConnell, or Willie and Diane Williams. You could get one of our staff, myself, Joni, Chris, uh, my mom and dad, uh, and say, I feel like I've got a word from God, and I would, would like to share it. And then in the opportunity to be able to share it, it's not like you get up here and say, thus saith the Lord. It's one of those things where say, I get the sense in, in the scriptures over and over in the book of Acts, it says it seemed good to us in the Holy Spirit. It's okay to say, I get the picture, I get the sense that this is what it is. And then the church has the opportunity to then weigh it. And by weighing it, it's not like they get everybody to go thumbs up or thumbs down on that. We're going to say yay, we're going to say nay. And there's a couple times, especially in 1 Corinthians, where it says if a person is prophesying and it doesn't resonate. If a person is giving messages in tongues and there's nobody to give a, a, an interpretation, they need to be quiet at church and learn. It doesn't mean you don't try. It doesn't mean you don't stretch out. It just means that after a couple of times, you don't just give the platform to anybody to, to speak out. Years ago, there was a guy who attended church here and there came a point where I attached Sean McConnell to him. And I said, your job is, is he's going to want every, every service, he wants to come talk. And he has shown over time that he, his, his embracing of reality was, was not working. And I don't say that lightly, he was not all there. But he thought he was, and he, wanted to, he had a message he wanted to share. And I can remember one specific time he gets up, and how he got the microphone, I don't know, but he's talking about radio stations and TV stations in Reno and what God is doing in the TV stations. And he starts talking, and it's like, oh, my goodness. And it's like, Sean, if you see him, you know what I'm talking about. If you see him, it's like, well, he's not going to do that. And I told him, you know what? You need to just be here and learn, and this isn't, this isn't talking time for you. And sure enough, there came a point where he was compelled by something, and he's like, I just gotta say something. I just gotta. And it's like, if you can't play nice within the community, one of the things about, it's not creating a safe place, but it's creating a place where people can, can know that just because a person feels like they want to shout something out doesn't mean that you're going to give everybody equal platform. We want to have trusted voices speaking to the life of the congregation. If you go to a gym, you don't take some visiting person off the street and say, hey, they're going to teach today. You want to know who is this person, who, do, who are their teachers, where did they get their information, what kind of philosophy do they have, what's their track record, what's their resume, who are the people that they leave in their state? You know what I'm talking about. That's why we, we want to, it's not trying to, to micromanage what is taught, but it's being a good steward to say, we're not going to just say, hey, you know what, just kick it out there and we'll let the Holy Spirit sort it out. Anyway, that's not in my notes, but we needed to hear that today. I'm sensing three verses today. Um, 
So it's funny to me because we see in Acts chapter 13 something of how they did church. It says in Acts chapter 13 verse 2, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting. Now this, it kind of portrays an ongoing worshiping the Lord and an ongoing practice of of fasting. According to tradition, the Pharisees or the Jewish religious leaders would fast twice a week, Tuesdays and Fridays. And they did this because they thought it would bring about a revival in Israel. And so they were doing it to earn God's favor. What we see in the early church is that fasting was a part of worship. It was simply the part of a life that people lived dedicated to God. I've had a couple people ask me, so we have, we're going to celebrate 21 days of fasting and prayer. January 8th through the 28th. It's like, well, I don't, I've never fasted 21 days. It's like, I haven't either. I haven't either. But it's, the encouragement is to find a space in there to incorporate fasting into your life and replace the time that would maybe normally be eating with meditating on God's word or with prayer or with fellowship, which is hanging out with other people in the name of Jesus. And to see what incorporating that begins to, how that begins to affect your life. I can tell you I have met rabid defenders of intermittent fasting who will swear that it was the thing that transformed their life. It was, once I started limiting my eating to eight hours a day, you know, but I eat between 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. and the rest of the 16 hours, I don't do a thing. No food goes in. They talk about how that absolutely has revolutionized their life. And I believe that there is a power that comes from fasting that is a spiritual power when we set ourselves apart to worship Jesus by saying, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. That's what it is. And so when we fast, we're, we're taking this time and saying what would have normally been eating time or what would normally be me time or would normally be you know afternoon latte time, it's going to be this. Other situations, it might even be with the fasting, it's saying I'm not going to eat pleasant foods. And so that's where you get your kale and all your green stuff. Just enjoy that for, for 21 days. I don't know if anybody's seen a picture of Cassidy Pocock lately, but I saw pictures of her at her baby shower yesterday. And she is great with child. She is 30 weeks in. And if I would encourage you, I'll actually, I'll, I'll get you a picture of it. I was just thinking about it when I mentioned Kale because she would have thrown something at me for saying that. Yeah. This word for worshiping the Lord in verse two actually is translated as ministry or service to the Lord. So as the church was serving the Lord and fasting, as the church was engaging in ministry to the Lord, there was an ongoing understanding that God was directing their steps and he began to speak to the congregation out of that. There's something where the mission or the, God, the will, the purpose that God gives to us, he'll give each one of us an understanding of what our, our own individual purposes are, but ultimately we're, fu- we're functioning underneath God's mission or the missio Dei, the mission of God, which is to go into all the world and declare the gospel to every creature. It's to teach people to obey Jesus' teachings. It's to baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's to love others in the same way that he has loved us. It's to relentlessly live a holy life set apart to him. It's to be kind to one another. These are things that you don't have to pray about. 
These are things you don't have to take before the Lord. Am I really supposed to, to love my neighbor as I love myself? I'm just, I've got to seek the Lord on that. Anything that he, Jesus has said we're supposed to do, you don't need to pray about. And so he doesn't say in the scripture, if you happen to decide one day that you want to fast one meal a year, um, you know, if, you know, he says, when you fast, this is what you do. He says, don't be like the hypocrites. What the Pharisees would do when they would fast is that they would let you know. It's like the person I was describing named Louis when he got his colonoscopy and he had to not eat good food for uh, most of an entire day. You put the miserable face on and you just kind of uh, walk around and make sure everybody kind of knows. You see them, they're kind of drinking your little, your little mixture that's going to purge your body. It's like, what are you doing? Oh, I'm just getting ready for my colonoscopy, not eating any good food. Hanging out in the break room, watching people. I wish I could eat what you guys are eating, but I can't because I have to fast. Man, this is hard. You know, it's that, it's that type of thing. What the Pharisees said, they would disfigure their faces and they'd be like, oh, we're fasting today, everybody. Nobody can eat anything good around me. No donuts, no apple fritters, no nothing. Jesus said, when you fast, make it like a normal day. Don't let people know what you're doing. It just kind of fly under the radar. Because this is between you and God. It's not a show to display how righteous and wonderful you are. I can remember having a conversation with a couple of guys. They're saying, how, what's the longest you've ever fasted? And they're like, well, I, I fasted for three days. Another guy's like, well, I fasted for 40 days. And it's like, why did you do that? So I just wanted to see if I could do it. It's like, that's a dumb reason. That's a dumb reason. If you're going to be fasting for an extended period of time, I would encourage you, make sure you hear God and make sure you are paying attention to what's going on with your physical body. I'd check with a doctor about this because I can remember when his tongue turned black, yes, and he started like seeing stuff because he was delusional because he wasn't eating. He was not a big guy in, in the first place. It's like at some point, it's like, I don't know if that was Jesus that told him to do that. I'm not going to say, well, God told me. You break out the God card. It's really hard to do anything with it. Many times, I would encourage you to say, I think this is what God's saying. It seems to me this is what God may be saying to me. It, it's fun having a conversation when somebody said, well, God told me this. Because what if God told them something and you really don't believe God told them that and you try to say, well, I don't think that's God. It turns into a spiritual jujitsu. You know, whose jujitsu is better? How, who are you to say this? And there comes a point where uh, like, people come and say, well, God told me to do this. Okay, do you want any input on this or do you want me just to kind of, okay, I hear what you're saying and there's nothing. If God is speaking something to us, it doesn't mean that everyone in the world has to weigh in and give us the yay or nay, you know, or yay or nay. But often when there's a direction that God's giving to us, it is wisdom to take that to people who you trust spiritually and say, here's what I'm thinking. Here's what I think God's talking to me about. What do you think of that? Does that resonate with what scripture says? Does that resonate with what we're seeing as something that's common within the body? It is called submitting ourselves to the body of believers. We're not elevating ourselves and so I got this. I don't want to belabor the point, but I feel like I want to belabor the point, but I'm not going to belabor the point. This is important because often we can equate worship as just being the song time. I, I've had so many conversations with people that say, I come to church after the singing because I don't like it. 
It doesn't, it's irrelevant. It, 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 I, don't, I don't get the point. I just come for the teaching. What is the point of the singing? Singing is something that bonds us. It binds us together. It puts us all in the same place at the same time doing the same thing. In heaven, we're not going to have teaching anymore because we'll have Jesus. Don't worry. I won't be out of a job. I'll be with you. But there's going to be every tribe and tongue and nation gathered together singing songs of praise and worship to the Lamb over and over and over again. And it's not going to be boring. When we worship, it changes our heart towards God and towards each other. When we worship, when we're engaging together, it bonds us. It's, I think one of my favorite experiences I've ever had is my son Johnny and Joey and I went to a soccer game, proper football they'd call it, in Frankfurt, Germany. And we're sitting in the Eintracht Frankfurt, the Frankfurt United section. And there's a little dude, he's probably, you know, 5'3", or so, couldn't have been more than a buck ten, and he's got a microphone and a speaker on his shoulder, and I'm wondering, what is he? And so I asked our, our guide, our, our guest, our host, and he said, that's the worship leader. And I said, what? And he says, yeah, he's going to lead us in song, and throughout the entire game, he would start a song, and then everyone's singing along, and pretty soon, I didn't even know the words, and I was singing just going along with the melody and we're all together and it was awesome. There was this experience of, of unity and togetherness and in other situations, if you've ever been in the military and you're out running or you're, you're doing something together and you, you get someone who's calling out cadences, the point of the cadences is not just to see how filthy you can get with your mouth, <laughs> though that may seem to be often what it was. The point of the cadences was to get you listening and responding and recognizing, I'm not the boss of everything. I'm a part of this. We're a unit. Worship together, serving God together, ministry of the Lord, is a unifying opportunity for us to be a part of the unit. And if you struggle with worship, it's weird to sing. Yeah, I get it. Understand it. But it's also something that there is a humility that's required to engage. Well, I don't have a good voice. I heard, I was talking with Libby not long ago. She gave me, you know what, we'd say someone who um, is not able to sing well, it's like they, they are totally out of tune. In Russian, it is, the elephant stepped on my ear. That's how you would say, I, I don't know how to sing. She does, by the way, know how to sing. But it's, it's like, we, well, I, I sing so poorly. Well, you don't have to sing super loud. You can sing just normally. But it, I guarantee you, if you've never done it before, that is an area that God wants you to grow into. And there's not going to be a, and now, Richard, take it away. You know, sing it. Sing the solo. Or, Adam, it's time. You know, you've been dancing over here with your bass for so long, and now it's time for you to just, we need you to belt it. There's a point where it's a togetherness, and it's a unity, and it's a fellowship, and that's what God's inviting us to. And that's what we see in the church, and that's where mission comes from. Mission flows out of Worship, out of ministry to the Lord, out of service. Does that make sense? Okay. So as they're ministering to the Lord, as they're worshiping, as they're fasting, the church gets the sense that God is saying, I want to send people out of this church to go to another place to begin to engage sharing the message of the gospel. Who needs to hear the gospel? At this point, everyone does. They could almost, you know, throw a, a dart at a map if they had it and they would have been able to say nobody's ever heard the gospel here 
And so they're praying about it. And it seemed good that it would be Barnabas and Saul that would be sent out to go. And so they began to pray and they began to fast and the church is weighing in on it. And at some point it's like, this is good. And they sent them. And they did so by laying their hands on them, which is a, an empowering, using God's gifts. And it uh, says, okay, we're gonna send you off to go and minister in different places sharing the message of the gospel. Okay. I think uh, one of the things, if you, I wanna reiterate, Jade, will you put up the picture of the 21 days of fasting? This is, if you go to foursquareprayer.org, there's all sorts of resources you can download regarding fasting, if you want to participate with fasting with our local church and then also with the Foursquare churches nationwide. Foursquareprayer.org has a ton of resources also. On Hillside's Instagram, each day of the 21 days, we're hoping to put up our general focus of what's happening that day. So if you don't follow us on Instagram, you can do that as well. But a little bit of understanding about it. The big focus of the early church on prayer and fasting, and the reason why we're wanting to focus on it is because it, it's something that's significant. And there's really three or four things that I want to address when it comes to when we're fasting because of Jesus and to set ourselves apart for Jesus, it's something that it's powerful, it breaks bonds of evil and darkness, and it aligns us with God. It does not twist his arm. God, I didn't eat for three days, now you have to do this for me. It's setting ourselves apart to God to hear God. It's Jesus in the wilderness where he went 40 days without eating. He's in the middle of nowhere, and it says, and he was hungry. And the devil says to him, you know what, Jesus? If, if you are the son of God, why don't you turn these rocks into bread? And Jesus says, no, I'm not gonna do that because I don't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. When we're fasting and then focusing our time and our energy on prayer or on reading the Bible or on meditating on a scripture, what we're doing is we're reminding ourselves that we don't live by this. And that even though we think we will die if we don't eat that thing, there's actually a, a sustenance that comes from spiritual food. Another thing is fasting, and this is where uh, people who do intermittent fasting, people who fast as a part of their diet, often discover it is a way to purge impurities from your body and to purify your body. It's also a way of doing battles, spiritual battles in the invisible world. There's times where Jesus is having an interaction with uh, uh, his disciples and they had been trying to cause an evil spirit to come out of a young, a young boy who was being thrown on the ground and thrashed around. And they, they said to Jesus, why can't we get this to leave? And he says, this kind only comes out by prayer and fasting. And then Jesus said, be gone in, in my name. And it was gone. And so there are times where when we're prayer and fasting, what we're actually preparing for is for spiritual conflict. And it gives us a power that we don't have on our own. And then also we fast and we pray because it helps to open up or unlock the miraculous for healing, for salvation, for deliverance. Every single one of us has people in our families, people in our lives who don't know Jesus yet. Even more of us have people that we know that struggle with severe addictions. And many times addictions are things where people have learned behaviors that have been passed down from generation to generation. I believe in the middle of the excesses of our flesh, we see dark spirits get involved to even make those bondages and those addictions even worse. And we can pray and fast on behalf of others and pray that Jesus will break the chains for them. So that's one of the other things we bring to the table. That, that makes sense? Okay, so... I'm gonna read over Acts 13, four through 13, and we will end up getting into a lot of this next week, but this will be about, it'll be about spiritual warfare. But uh, 
here we go. So being set, sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogue of the Jews. And they, had, and they had John, or John Mark, to assist them. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was the, with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intellect and intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elymas the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga and Pamphylia, and John left them and returned to Jerusalem. So, will you put the map up, Jay? So, just about any Bible, especially study Bible, will have a Paul's missionary journeys, one, two, and three. And the first one, he starts here, and they go to, you know, if you've, if you've been fasting for a long period of time, this doesn't say Salamis, Salamis here, Antioch to Salamis, and it says they went throughout the entire island preaching the message, then they got to Paphos. This is the spot where they had the confrontation with the guy who called himself son of Jesus. Bar Jesus, I have this power of God too. And he was, a, anyway, we're gonna get into that next week. And then they ended up going up to here and around, and we'll, we'll be touching on this a little bit more. But one of the things that comes out of Paul and Barnabas's mission is that they knew where to go because they were being led by the Holy Spirit. You will be able to know what you're supposed to do with your life day by day, even the things you're supposed to focus on as you're led by the Holy Spirit. It's not a mystery. It's not I hope that somehow there's going to be, I hit the target. Often it's whatever's not illegal, immoral, or unbiblical, and it comes to your mind as a way to glorify God and a way to do well, you do that thing. Thinking, what would Jesus be doing if he was walking in my shoes? You do that thing. And if the Holy Spirit says, nope, that's not it, you'll be able to tell. The image that I use over and over again is the rumble strips as you're going through Washoe Valley. If you are on 580 headed towards Carson and you start to drift into the sides, you will hear the, you will hear that, you will feel it. I'm not saying if you start to get off in your life, the Holy Spirit will show up and go to you. It would be, better, it would be nice to know it. It'd be fun. But there is, will be a check. There'll be a no. There'll be a stop, especially if we're living in community with people. And we're willing to listen and get people's input. Anyway, we're going to continue with this. But I think uh, one of the things as, as we wrap up, I just want to ask, and these are things more to ponder for you, is what is your relationship or your experience or your practice when it comes to worshiping the Lord? When I was talking about that, did you find it's like, uh, I'm kind of that person who I can't wait for that singing time to be over. I can't wait for that engagement. I just wish we could just go straight to the teaching time. I believe God wants to work something in you not to break you and to make, make you become somebody who, you know, is free and dancing and not saying that it's something that's going to happen. But I do believe that there's an area of growth where if you're singing just to sing, and you're not singing because you're encountering Jesus in there, it's a, it's a different experience. My prayer is that in 2024, you will experience 
what it is to minister to the Lord, to serve the Lord as a part of your worship. Um, what about prayer and fasting? How do you experience this? How do you engage with that? What's been your experience with that? What are the biggest obstacles for you? For me, I can go days without eating unless I'm thinking about food. And there's times where it's like I have been working and I skipped a meal or I skipped two meals and it's like, oh yeah, I'm hungry. But on a day I've set apart to fast, it's like 7.02 in the morning. I just, I don't know if I'm gonna make it. And it's like, I don't even eat till nine or 10 anyway, any day. But it's like, I, I, I feel weak. I feel weak. <laughs> I should talk to my doctor before I did this. You know, that type of thing. But all kidding aside, what gets in the way? There's things to consider with that. Yeah, we're going to go to pancakes in a minute. You notice we didn't start this fast on the first. And how do you know or how do you determine God's will for you or God's mission for your life? What you're to give yourself to. It's good to know. So you can go back and check that. And there's people in your life, I'm hoping they know how you do that. That's part of living in community is being able to share that with each other. Anyway, let's bow our heads. <sighs> Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for bringing us here to get together today. I thank you for the year of 2023 and what you've done in, through, and around Hillside and, all, and in the churches that call upon your name in this city. I pray that you would be made famous, Lord God, that you would be great, that you would be glorified, you'd be lifted up, and Lord, that you'd cause each of the churches that call upon your name in this city to be blessed and to grow. Lord, that we would have a strong desire to see the gospel good news go into all the world and go into our neighborhoods and to be lived out in our daily life more and more. Pray for your peace that goes beyond circumstance to rest upon our hearts and minds right now. And Lord, as we prepare to eat in a second, we thank you for those who have been making the food. We ask you to, uh, to bless it we thank you for it. We thank you for the friends that old and new that are here and for the opportunity to be in community together. Help us to walk in relationship with you and with each other. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we wrap up from Romans chapter 15, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And may Jesus bless you and keep you. May Jesus make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. May Jesus turn his face towards you and give you peace. This has been a podcast presentation of Hillside Foursquare Church in Reno, Nevada. You can reach us via email at web at hillside4.org. That's W-E-B at hillside4.org.